a 15th century castle built on the site of a 1st century fort. This is the haunt of a whole host of ghosts that were linked to this place in life and have not been able to move on in death. A nursemaid who was accidentally responsible for the death of the owner of the castle's child was punished by her own life being taken. The ghost of a one-eyed woman and the tormented soul of the treacherous nephew of the castle's chief who was left to die of thirst in the dungeon and more, all remain here in perpetuity. So tonight, join me as we head to the ruined fortress of Duntullum Castle. Welcome to episode 48 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet Earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week, we head to the Isle of Skye and ask just how haunted is Duntullum Castle? Listener discretion is advised, as each episode of How Haunted will feature gruesome tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. The Isle of Skye, or simply Skye, is the largest and northernmost of the major islands of the Inner Hebrides of Scotland. The island has a history of occupation dating back to the Mesolithic period, also known as the Middle Stone Age. The first people here walked across Doggerland following the summer migration elk and deer. Doggerland is what we now know as the North Sea. We know they were here as remnants of their primitive tools have been found in the north of the island, dating from around 14,000 BC. An ice age came along in around 11,000 BC 
and the Isle of Skye became a frozen wasteland, uninhabitable for any form of life. By around 9600 BC, the Ice Age had passed and hunter-gatherers had returned to Britain. These were by no means the first inhabitants of the Island of Skye, as evidenced by the famous Isle of Skye dinosaur footprints. These are found on the sandstone and limestone slab close to the shore at low tide. They are the largest collection of tracks in the whole of Scotland, and Skye is one of the few places in the world where fossils from the Middle Jurassic period can be found. These date back around 170 million years. Species that have been discovered on Skye include Stegosaurus, Megalosaurus, Hadrosaurus and Cetiosaurus. The majority of the dinosaur footprints on Skye are believed to have belonged to sauropods, which would have been the largest land creatures on Earth at the time. There are also tracks of early carnivorous theropods and large herbivorous ornithopod dinosaurs. In the first century AD, the area was the home of an ancient Celtic people called the Picts. They built a brock here, a tall building which acted as a fortified house, a status symbol of their wealth, and a fort to guard the northern coast of Scotland. In the 9th century, the Vikings invaded Scotland and established their own settlements. One such settlement was at Duntulham. The area became an important stronghold of the Norsemen and was used to control the North Atlantic trade. It was during the centuries that followed that this area came under the rule of the great warrior king, Somerled, who died in 1164. During the 14th and 15th century, a castle was built on the site upon which the Iron Age Brock had once stood, in a strong defensive position, sat atop a basalt cliff with the sea on three sides. Its origins are vague, with the legend that it was built overnight by 5,000 fairies. But it's believed by historians that the MacLeod clan built Duntullum Castle here in response to the feud between the MacLeods of Dunvegan on the shores of the large Loch Dunvegan and the Macdonalds of Sleet, known today as the Garden of Skye, for the northern Skye Trotternish Peninsula. King James V had visited the castle in 1540 when it was under MacLeod control. It's been written that he was impressed by the hospitality he received and the strength of the castle. In the late 16th century, the MacLeod and the MacDonald clans were feuding, but to try and end the feud, the MacLeod chief Rory Moore offered his sister Margaret's hand in marriage to Donald Gorm, a MacDonald. The wedding took place, the two clans were reunited and at peace. However, this was a hand-fast arrangement, meaning that should Margaret and Donald Gorm not produce a male heir in the first year and one day of marriage, then their deal would no longer stand. A year and one day passed, and no son was born. Margaret lost an eye during the year-long marriage, and Donald Gorm sent her back to her brother in a humiliating way, tied backwards to a one-eyed horse, with a one-eyed servant, and even a one-eyed dog. Rory Moore was furious at this insult, and took up arms against the Macdonalds. The ensuing battles became known as the Wars of the One-Eyed Woman. During the wars, Donald Gorm invaded Trotternish, a region held by the Macleods. The Battle of Troutonis, which took place on the banks of the Snizort River, 
was a bloody battle indeed. Donald Gorm was victorious, and he cut off the heads of the fallen MacLeods and threw them into the river. The heads floated out to sea, and they got caught at the river's mouth. This place is now known as Cornansine, meaning the Year of the Heads. After his victory at Troutonus, Donald Gorm took up residence in Duntullum Castle. He was not satisfied with his victory, however, and he wanted a decisive victory over the MacLeods. In 1601, the Battle of Cornar Crich took place on the slopes of the Black Cullen Ridge. This was the last Scottish clan battle ever to be fought on Sky. Donald Gorm defeated the MacLeods, but his victory came at a high price. The fighting raged throughout the day and the night, and it is said that the river Altcor and Madrid ran red with the blood of both clansmen. The wars of the one-eyed woman were a bloody and costly conflict. They ended with the defeat of the MacLeods, but they also left a legacy of bitterness and resentment between the two clans, far worse than anything that had came before. In fact, the battle had been so violent that the Privy Council decided to step in between the rivals, the Privy Council being a formal body of advisers to the Sovereign of the United Kingdom. They forced them to negotiate terms of peace, and it worked, as it brought the bloody feud to an end for good, finally. Poor one-eyed Margaret was even told that if she wanted to seek legal proceedings against Donald Gorm for her lost eye, she may well be advised to do so. Between 1617 and 1618, the Privy Council ordered Donald's son, Donald Gorm Moore MacDonald, to rebuild Duntullum Castle to be his home. The order stated that with all convenient diligence to prepare materials to build a civil and comely home, or if his house is decayed, he shall repair and mend it. Additionally, he was to pay compensation to the MacLeods of Dunvegan for their loss of Duntullum Castle during the battles in the early 17th century. These demands were met and work began to improve and repair Duntullum Castle, with a second tower being added. In around 1650, further improvements were made with a large rectangular building that appears to have been used as a house added within the castle walls. But by 1732, Duntullum Castle had been abandoned as Alexander MacLeod had built a new home for the family five miles, which is eight kilometres to the southwest, Monkstad House. Stone from the castle was stripped away to be used in the construction of this new building. Monkstad House itself has a rich history, despite being used for only a relatively short period of time. It was a hiding place of Bonnie Prince Charlie in June 1746, following his defeat at the Jacobite Rising of 1745. He was in disguise as Betty Burke, landing on the island on the Kilbride shore around a mile from Monkstad, having sailed from Ben Becula, one of the islands of the Outer Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. He may not have had the support of Sir Alexander MacDonald, but his wife Margaret was sympathetic. Eventually the MacDonalds would abandon this location, moving to the south of the island in 1798, when they took up residence in Armadale Castle, which was built in 1790. In 1815, a square Tudor Gothic mock castle, intended for show rather than defence, was built next to the house. This was designed by Edinburgh architect James Gillespie Graham. Fire struck Armadale Castle in 1855, 
destroying part of the building. The section destroyed was replaced with a brand new central wing, designed by Scottish architect and Freemason David Bryce. Armadale Castle was abandoned by the Macdonalds in 1925, and it was left unattended and neglected, and fell into rotten decay. Today Armadale Castle is a roofless ruin, with a portion of the building deemed unsafe and demolished in 1971. This leaves the section created by David Bryce following the fire of 1855 and a two-storey wing on the north side of the castle is all that remains. However, the gardens around the husk of Armadale Castle have been well maintained and now the gardens and the award-winning Museum of the Isles are open daily to visitors. Monkstart House was in ruins itself by 1950, but it was restored and is now open as Monkstart's 1745 a luxury lodge offering accommodation to those visiting Sky, including five suites. But what about Duntullum Castle itself that was abandoned almost 300 years ago? Sadly, Duntullum Castle is now little more than a ruined shell, a far cry from its former glory as the seat of the MacLeod and then the MacDonald clans. Since the day it was left empty and abandoned, it was fighting a losing battle against the constant onslaught of the fierce Atlantic winds. The castle was around 25 by 9 metres, and there were two towers. The tallest and oldest was once four storeys tall, but this has decayed and eroded, and now the vaulted basement of it is all that remains. The other tower, which was added by the Macdonalds in the early 17th century, isn't standing at all, as it collapsed into the sea in 1990. There are barely any remains of the original 15th century castle, and what is left is mostly what was added by the Macdonalds in the 17th century. The stonework is unstable, and there are signs everywhere warning of danger for anyone who does choose to visit. For anyone daring to explore Duntullum Castle, care must be taken, not only because of the uneven ground and the hazardous stonework, but because of the plethora of ghosts that remain here, just lurking in the darkness. Duntullum Castle has borne witness to much death and suffering, wars and battles. It's little surprise that it has become well known for the paranormal activity reported here. The ghost of Donald Gorm, the 8th chief of the Macdonalds, can sometimes be heard and seen fighting against other phantom foes. Hugh Macdonald was the nephew of Donald Gorm, and he was the laird of the castle Usdeen, leading Hugh's castle, but he wanted more. He wanted the land and power held by his uncle, so he plotted a scheme to have Donald assassinated. His plan backfired terribly, however, when a letter intended for an assassin for hire was intercepted and given to Donald. Hugh fled, but he was soon captured and thrown into Duntullum Dungeon. Donald Gorm had his revenge, as he left Hugh to die in his black prison. He was given a plate of extremely salty beef and an empty jug of water. Hugh lost his mind and went completely mad, before finally succumbing and dying of thirst. His ghostly piercing wails are still heard amongst the ruins today. Legend has it that the reason the castle was abandoned in 1732 was following a terrible accident at Duntullum Castle. A nursemaid was charged with looking after the son of the Macdonald clan chief, Tragically, she was holding the baby near an open window, and the baby fell out of the window, down onto the rocks below. The nursemaid was beside herself with grief, 
but her suffering would be short-lived, as she was punished by being cast adrift in the rough sea in a boat full of holes. Some versions of this tale have a bittersweet ending, as one of the castle's staff saw a white cloth hanging from one of the jagged rocks far below, and when it was investigated further, the baby boy was found to be inside, completely unharmed. The woman is said to be heard sobbing, but the sound is heard emanating from the upper reaches of the tower, the tower which is no longer standing. Another regular ghostly apparition to stalk the castle ruins is that of Margaret MacLeod, who lost an eye at the hands of her abusive husband, Donald Gorm MacDonald. Her ghost is seen wandering the castle ruins, weeping from her one eye. Other ghostly sightings include the apparition of a woman in white at the top of the castle. Nobody knows who she is. Witnesses have also reported hearing footsteps and disembodied voices. Some have even experienced a sense of being touched by an invisible entity. While exploring the haunted hotspots on the Isle of Skye, it's worth looking at Dunvegan Castle. The castle was built in the 13th century on an elevated rock, 50 feet or 15 metres above sea level, overlooking an inlet on the eastern shore of Loch Dunvegan. Unlike the ruined Duntullum Castle, it remains a well-maintained, impressive building today. It was built by the MacLeods, and unlike many other castles across the UK which have been entrusted to the likes of the National Trust, Dunvegan Castle remains in the private ownership of the MacLeods, and is the oldest inhabited castle in all of Scotland. Not all of the castle dates from the 13th century, as it has been extended, improved and rebuilt over the centuries. The promontory was fortified in the 13th century with a curtain wall. In the late 14th century, a four-storey tower house was built. In around 1500, a fairy tower was added as a separate building. In the 17th century, new ranges of buildings were constructed between the old tower and the fairy tower, beginning with the state apartment which was built in 1623. Later, mock battlements were added, with a new approach over a drawbridge from the east. In 1840, the entire castle was remodelled in a mock medieval style. The castle is open to visitors though, and anybody who experiences this ancient fortress for themselves will see that there are notable family heirlooms kept on display at Dunvegan Castle. These include the Dunvegan Cup. This is a wooden ceremonial cup decorated with silver plates, which dates back to 1493. Then there's Sir Rory Moore's horn. This is a drinking horn which each successive clan chief is to drink a full measure of the horn in wine to prove his manhood. The origin of this horn is unclear, and experts are unable to agree on the period of the artwork on the horn, with some claiming it to be from as far back as the 10th century, while others are adamant that it's 16th century in design. Then there is the item which is tied to the best known legend connected to the castle. The Fairy Flag The Fairy Flag, or Bratashi, as it's known in Scottish Gaelic, is a fragile relic of the past. It's yellow or brown in colour, and measures around 18 inches, which is 45 centimetres square. It is covered in small red elf dots. In the early 19th century, the flag was also marked with small crosses, but these have since disappeared. The fairy flag's significance is uncertain, 
but it is thought to have been associated with a religious or spiritual tradition. The small red dots may symbolise stars or other celestial objects, and the small crosses may have been the symbols of faith. Whatever its meaning, the flag is a precious artefact and is an important heirloom of the MacLeods. The flag's condition has deteriorated over the centuries, and it's now ripped and tattered. It has been examined numerous times by historians and conservators. The flag's origins are unknown, but it was analysed by archaeologist Alan John Bayard Wace at the Victoria and Albert Museum at the request of Sir Reginald MacLeod, who was the 27th Clan Chief. He became the 27th Chief of Clan MacLeod on the 5th of November 1929, on the death of his elder brother, Norman Magnus. The analysis carried out by Wace revealed that the material of the fairy flag was silk, that had been woven in either Syria or Rhodes, and may have been taken to the Isle of Skye from the Crusades. There are some historians who have written of it being a raven banner. This was a banner waved by standard bearers of Viking rulers. In 1799, the writer Reverend Norman MacLeod recalled seeing the flag as a child. He described it as having crosses wrought in gold thread, and several elf spots stitched upon it. He also said that bits of the flag had been torn and cut off, so much so that he later doubted it still existed. In 1871, John Francis Campbell saw the flag, and he described it as being made of yellow raw silk, with figures and spots worked on it in red. In 1927, Roderick Charles MacLeod described the flag as being square and brown, he measured it as around 18 inches, which is 45 centimetres square. He considered the flag to have originally been much larger, and he remarked on its extreme fragility and the need for careful handling. He also noted that the flag had been carefully mended several times. The fairy flag has several different legends surrounding its origins, the most common version being that it was given to the MacLeod clan by the Fairy Queen, after they assisted her. It was wrapped around a MacLeod baby, and the fairies sang the baby a lullaby, which was then sung to subsequent MacLeod children by their nursemaids. This flag can be waved three times by the clan in times of dire need, and it can only be used if a year and one day has passed between uses. So far it has been used twice, firstly at the Battle of Glendale in 1490, and then again at the Battle of Trumpan in 1580. Both times, the MacLeod clan were victorious. It only has one final use left, and after that, it will be reclaimed by the Fairy Queen. When Scottish historian, novelist, poet and playwright Sir Walter Scott visited Dunvegan Castle in 1814, he wrote of the legends and tales he was told about the fairy flag while here. He described it as a pennon of silk, with something like round red rowan berries wrought upon it. He wrote that the flag had three magical properties. The first was that it multiplied the number of men upon a battlefield. The second was that when it was spread upon a nuptial bed, it ensured fertility. The third was that it brought herring into the lock. A pilot from the Clan MacLeod carried a photo of the fairy flag during World War II for luck and attributed successful bombing raids over Germany to the fairy flag. The flag is stored in a display case in the drawing room, and ghostly music has been heard coming from the room when it is known to be empty. No source of the music can be found, 
but those who have heard the ghostly music played have described it as being very beautiful, almost hypnotic. Another musical spirit unconnected to the fairy flag appears to haunt Dunvegan Castle's South Tower, where bagpipe music has been heard played by a phantom piper when nobody is around. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at, at @howhauntedpod, or over on Instagram at @howhauntedpod, where you will see photos galore relating to Duntullum Castle. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com, or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com. Feedback, location, suggestions, and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like, and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show, you can sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. If you'd like to get early, ad-free access to episodes, as well as access to exclusive episodes where you can join me in an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened, you can gain access to all of these episodes right now for less than the price of a pint. There's also a tier where not only do you get all of that, but you can get yourself some exclusive How Haunted merch, like a mug and a t-shirt, as well as join me on an actual paranormal investigation via live stream. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash howhauntedpod to find out more. If you aren't a fan of Patreon, or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation to support the podcast, why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee? You can do this by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash how haunted pod all the information on how you can support how haunted is in this podcast episode description and over on the website if you've enjoyed this episode if enjoy is the right word then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice it really does help other people to find how haunted next time out we're headed to cumbria and to the location where i conducted my first ever paranormal investigation way back on the night of Halloween 2002. A glacier lake, which was the site of a murder in the 1850s, when a smitten young woman called Jessie was drowned by her lover, the man she loved and trusted more than anyone else in the world. Her body was disposed of in the lake, buried beneath rocks, and she was never found. In September 2002, a month prior to my investigation, 23 terrified witnesses saw the bloody apparition of a woman walk from the water in broad daylight, before vanishing before their very eyes. But what would happen when I spent the night there? Let's find out together next week, when we ask, just how haunted is Talk and Tarn? Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe, and join me next time, when we will once again ask the question, How Haunted? How Haunted?